Let us just pray. Lord, as we come before you, just ask you today, Lord, that you place in my heart whatever it is that you would want me to share with your people. Lord, just direct, guide, inspire. And I just pray, Lord, that it just be words that stimulate our minds, our intellect, but that, Lord, it will have a transforming effect on our character, on our attitude, and our way of life. And so, Lord, be here with us now, every step of the way, as we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Right, today's topic is called Living in Fear. And can I just quickly read yes, the yeah, passage from Scripture that we're going to focus on? This is from 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 17. This is Peter speaking to believers. Because remember, the, testaments, the New Testament is principally were written for Christians. And this is one of the letters that were written primarily for Christians. And again, right? The reason why they're there is because we as Christians face many challenges, right? So this is another reference to challenge. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourself with fear throughout the time of your exile. You might find that a bit strange, right? Fear in the Christian life. Isn't after all, the Bible says, Perfect love casts out fear. Isn't the Christian life supposed to equip us to come up, you know, to somehow withstand fear? But this is what the reality that many of us are faced with. Fear tends to haunt our lives. You know, for many of us, whether we are young, whether we are old, we know this icy clutch of terror in our hearts, you know, fear. Many people will not walk after dark in our neighborhood for fear of being robbed or molested. So we install, what, bigger locks, you know, we sometimes even purchased um, guard dogs, etc. right? We install security cameras. But what this is really saying is that we actually have got some fear that is happening in our lives, in our neighborhood. And principally, our fear seems to be centered around other human beings. When we look across the globe, even in our own city of London, the prospects are frightful. Imagine fearing every day that your life or that of your family members may be blasted by a terrorist bomb or cut down in a deadly shooting or somebody, as what's happened last year and in other parts of the world where somebody gets into a car right, and decided to just target a group of people randomly, innocent people. Right. Just imagine you're living with that sort of reality. Right. And as I said, you know, uh, this was once seen as something that happens in other, parts of the, in other parts of the world. But now it's becoming closer to home. And that in some sense sometimes shape the way in which we go about our daily activities. We step in at our front door, we start thinking, wonder if this may happen, wonder if that. Right, I would say personally, I have this somehow irrational fear of traveling on the tube. I just don't like being in an enclosed space. And almost invariably, as it happened again yesterday, as you approach Brixton um, tube station, uh, the train has a tendency to just um, stop just before it actually terminates. And every time it does, I begin to feel, you know, a nervous anxiety increasing. And I keep saying, you know, I've been doing this since 1969, but even now, I says, I wonder if this is the occasion when something will happen. 
right, to me and everybody else on this train. You know, it's almost I've been conditioned, right, to actually go through that kind of um, emotional response. But that fear is not altogether imaginary. You wonder to yourself, given what happened in 2005, and you wonder as the uh, sort of um, police and those in kind of responsibility for security have this very high alert. So yes, even in London today, there's this every presence danger that then creates this kind of fear, this anxiety in most of us, if not all of us. So how tragic it is when people have to live out their lives, you know, dreading this malice and violence of their fellow human beings, right? God made us for each other. God made us for himself or made us for each other. God made us to love each other, to care for each other, to be compassionate, so on and so forth. But yet because of sin, it's quite the averse. We become very fearful. And even as I mentioned earlier about people with the stigma of mental health, how we so easily become you know, very cautious, very nervous about them. In a similar way, we also can become, when we, especially when we're in a group of, that is unknown, whether we go abroad or somewhere else that we're not familiar with, or even adults, even somebody who has spent the best part of their working life working with young people. One of the things I notice about adults, they seem to sometimes have an irrational fear of young people. There's a group of young people gathered anywhere. Just step back and watch and observe what the adults tend to do. If they would normally walk close by, they will somehow take a conscious step to walk further away from that group of young people. And I wonder, says, dear, it is, is it a case that because so much negative, negative things are associated with young people, they develop this kind of um, aversion and will seek to avoid them? So, you know, because of sin, because of our fallen nature, we develop this kind of mistrust, this apprehension, this anxiety about each other. So how many are varied other fears which people confess to their pastors, doctors, and others? One person may have a nagging fear, as I said, of developing a terminal illness. Another live in constant fear of losing someone close to him or her. Some seem almost afraid of pleasure and happiness, lest that joy be suddenly taken away from them. I'm sure many of us can relate to that. You know, something good is happening, and you say... I wonder if it's going to last. I wonder if it'll be snatched away by circumstances or by something else. So imagine having that fear constantly informing the way you actually seek to um, enjoy the blessings that God has given to you and me. Many of us are answered by the fear of failure and so avoid taking on new challenges. I recall when I worked um, in the London Borough of Hackney and I was assigned a number of young people who struggled to actually get over anxiety leading up to exams. They would almost be paralyzed by fear of failing. And so one would have to work with them to somehow try to help them to manage those anxieties, manage that fear of failure. And I think many of us, in one degree or the other, sometimes may have struggled with that in the past. Even today, even as adults, we won't take on new challenges because while we're afraid of failing, we wonder how our fellow humans will perceive 
our performance. So what we tend to do, we avoid taking on those challenges. And I dare I say it, many of us may not find the courage to go out and evangelize because we are afraid of rejection. But remember, Jesus was himself a victim of being rejected. Man of sorrows. He was despised and rejected by men. He himself has been there. And he himself will be with you. You know, it's interesting. Before I actually came to Ecclesia, I used to really struggle with going out on the street. I would go out with a political manifesto, right? Says, here, vote this way because, you know, this is the answer to society's issues, etc., etc., right? Don't vote that way, etc., you know, I'd sometimes go out on campaigns, says, yes, we need justice in this era, justice for that era. But yet, to go out and say, right, hold on. Did you know that actually Jesus Christ came into this world to die for you? Do you know that one day you're going to die and you are got a reckoning with God? I used to find that extremely difficult to do. But I was so thankful that there were people who were here, who was able to actually encourage, who was able to actually empathize, that could go out. And it wasn't about, right, how brave you were. It wasn't about how clever you were. It was just the simple act of faith that says, right, going out and just sharing with people Amen. what Jesus has done for you in your lives. You don't have to be somehow, right, well read in theology. You just need to just have that love of Jesus in you for people and leave the rest to God. God just wants us to take a step of faith and he will do the rest. And this is what I've proven. And that even yesterday, there I was, even though I wasn't out in Lewisham, I'm there rushing somewhere in Croydon. And um, I lost my way slightly. I know, I'm sure most of you are familiar with the, is it the thoroughfare in Croydon as you walk from one part of West Croydon to um, another section. And I'm walking along, stop to ask somebody, um, where I could find a certain place. And as I was talking, another person came up and was sharing with me about um, Indian mysticism. Oh, right, okay, interesting. I know it was supposed to be somewhere, but I said, okay, you know what, that's gonna, I'm going to hold on to that. Okay, you say Indian mysticism. And they, this person was talking to me, and I said, okay, give her a space. I said, oh, I learned from you last week, um, Brian, about, yeah, listen, and so forth. And then I said to the person, When you come to pass out of this world and pass into eternity, how much of that Indian mysticism will be able to assist you? Let me just say this to you with total confidence. Unless you have Jesus Christ in your heart with you on that day of reckoning, right? You will not be able to face a righteous and holy God on the day of judgment. Right? Yeah. The intimacy may be able to actually help you in your day-to-day -day emotional situation, but only Jesus Christ is able to give you eternal life. And just sharing that, I didn't come prepared, didn't expect what it happened, but then I thought, you know, give God thanks. Because why? Before I started to go out with the team, I would have been very reluctant to just share that little about Jesus with that individual. 
So give God God thanks. Give God. So I just said, don't be afraid. Just go out. Even if you just have to stand and observe for a while, just take a step of faith and go out and evangelize. Do not let that fear of rejection paralyze you, immobilize you. And so back to the main topic, fear. It nourishes all the other fears. It causes us to lose balance and fill us with uncertainties. What a wonderful blessing it is when someone helps us to face and move beyond our fears. And again, dare I say it without being stereotypical, right? Something I observed from I was a toddler. My grandmother, she did not have difficulties connecting with other women around her age, around a whole range of issues. Whereas my grandfather had a caveman mentality, right? There he was, you know, a war veteran from the First World War and so on. And, you know, but yet, he would play dominoes and so on and talk sports with his peers. But those anxieties, those kind of issues that were really, really troubling him, he would not sit around with his fellow peers, males, and share them. And I think myself and many of us, even as men, Am I talking to something that somebody can relate to? We struggle with that even to today, right? But it is something that God has enabled us to, to share our anxiety, to share our concerns, to bear one another's burdens. Right? And we as men need to learn that. We need to reconnect that. And I sense, right, without being too simplistic, we have so much concerns about our young men, you know, and their sort of um, <laughs> involvement in violence and so on. One of the things that we never taught our young men, and I'm talking now as those of us who are fathers, grandfathers, adult men, we never taught them how to connect with each other. So they develop these kind of barriers, and they develop these kind of mistrust that then over time just becomes worse till they almost turn to where they value each other's less. I remembered about 20 years ago, I was working in Feltham. And there I was as a teacher. And I was put in a classroom, believe it or not, with a number of high-risk inmates. Every one of those boys, every one of them, there was 10 of them, every one of them had been involved in committing homicide. Right? And if you know anything about the security procedure in Feltham, right, when you go into the room, it is locked. <laughs> right? One of them turned around and said to me, Are you not afraid of being here with us and so forth? So I turned around and said to him, In a very Jamaican way, the only man I ever afraid of was my father, and him not here. So, <laughs> right? Yeah. But thanks be to God. Very bright, right? Because what I found interesting about all those boys was this. I, I did what was then a, what I call a cognitive assessment, you know, test their intelligence. Believe it or not, right, 80% of them had above um, average high, um, IQ, above average, 
the, you know, the, 100, the, the 100 is the percentile for the average intelligence quota for, um, for, for, for people. Most of them had between the range of 110 and 120. But it then invited them to actually talk about it. So one of them, the next one asked, why are you afraid of your father? Why have you got this fear? And I said, it's not afraid, it's a healthy kind of fear, right? And what I discovered just in that one and a half hour episode was this. 90% of those boys, and I call them boys at the time, never had their father in their lives, fathers in their lives. So that is another statistics that we may need to kind of look at. Another issue that we may need to look at when we consider what is going on today in our communities. Where are their fathers? Why is their father not been involved? I know sometimes it's something that is painful for some of us. But God, when he created two parents, he knew exactly what he was doing to create that balance that all of us need, all of us require. I'm not knocking because I have um, sisters and relatives who are single parents, single mothers, etc. No. But when you do not have that balance, right, you are storing up problems for later on. And we see so much of that being manifested today amongst our young people, in particular our young men. But not all fear is harmful and destructive. I'm sure we can relate to that. The fear of a speeding car or a deadly snake may lead us to action that will save our lives. Fear then is sometimes harmful and sometimes helpful, sometimes to be resisted and sometimes to be overcome. Fear has been used, sometimes used in politics and religion. There is Machiavelli, the prince, perhaps the most read um, book by political leaders for the last 200 years. And Machiavelli posed the question once. He asks, should a leader lead by love or by fear? And the answer came back and said, love. Machiavelli said, no, it's just by fear. Because if it is about love, you will do always what the people want you to do. But if it's by fear, they will do exactly what you want them to do. And you see that played out, right, on our world stage time and time again. Where leaders want to be feared. They use fear to manipulate, to control, right, and to exercise and abuse power. Right, so you see there, fear, even in politics. Jonathan Edwards, considered by many the greatest preacher in America's history, often warned people that they were suspended over a burning hell by the most fragile of treads. Um, you know, it led to great revivals during Edward's time. People really saw that they were on the way to a holy, righteous judge, right? That unless they were to give their hearts to Christ, they would not escape final condemnation in hell. So it led to, you know, a mass record of revival in America at the time. Today, many would actually repel from that approach to the Christian faith. 
they see that the notion of hell is something which is now old-fashioned, old-molded, and so forth. But Jesus spoke more about hell than he spoke about heaven. That is not just by accident. That's not coincidence. That is actually for a primary purpose. And that is to show that we need to really prioritize not going to hell through Jesus. And that can only be achieved through Jesus Christ. So Jesus knew why he emphasized hell over heaven in the scriptures. The question is, what do you think? How do you feel about what is called the fear of God? The Bible has a lot to say about fear. It recognizes how prone all of us are to be afraid. But did you know that there are 365 fear knots in the Bible? Yeah, one for each day of the year. Most of them come from God, urging his people to set aside their anxieties and trust him. But scripture also argue for the place of fear of God. Listen to these words again. The fear of the Lord. Sorry, no, could you go back to the um, 1 Peter, please? Yeah. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourself with fear throughout the time of your exile. Remember, he's talking to Christians. Now, before you write that off, think with me about what it means. Just really, you know, for a moment, I'm pardon. The fear of God, which is urged upon us in the scriptures, is not fright or terror. What Peter is calling for here is not the kind of dread that makes you want to run and hide from God. It's really calling us to reverence, calling us to simply take God seriously. Again, when I was speaking to those young men, I made them understood that when I said I fear my father, I was not talking about fearing him being very, very, you know, detrimental to me, etc. It was a reverent fear that even today I still have, even though my father passed away six years ago, I still have that, that reverence about my father. I will only ever speak about my father in the ways that I know is right, appropriate, and respectful. I will not entertain anyone saying anything to me, even my siblings, if they, they've not done it, but to say anything that is contrary to that reverence. And a similar kind of way that when we talk about the fear of God as believers, it is reverence for God. We see here in the book of Proverbs, chapter 9, verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. But the Bible is saying, if we start by reverencing God, it prepares us, it equips us for all the other aspects in life. It gives us that insight. So if I give a simple example, I'm doing my job. Let's use Missy for an example. You're an accountant. Why should you do things with integrity? Why should you do things that is right and good? 
Why should you be trusted? Why should you ensure that every penny is properly accounted for? Yes, the system can only better be served by that. Your reputation can be better be served by that. But as a believer, your service to God is served even much better. So you do it primarily, if I might use an example, because of that fear of God. You noted what this is right, this is good, this is acceptable in the sight of the Lord. And so it should be with every one of us in every facet of our lives. Even when we're on our own in our quiet moments and reflecting and thinking about that individual when we have cut us upon the road. Even that individual in our house, right? That could be a member of family who've used our personal effects without our permission <laughs> and we really want to <laughs> let them know. But you know what? Because of that reverence to God, we will deal with it in a very firm, but in a very considerate and appropriate manner. So every facet of our lives should be governed by that reverential fear of the Lord. The apostle give us three reasons for living with this kind of fear. First, God has made himself known to us as our father. Again, what, when you think about God being father, what do you think of? What does it bring to mind? For some, the reaction may be fear in the bad sense. In the 1940s, 50s, uh, there was a physician named Paul Tonia, Christian also, who shared in a number of publications that many of his patients was struggling to face up to the reality of life because they could not escape from an irrational fear of their fathers, a terror which has been carried over into all kinds of other fears. I think sometimes we as adults are often unaware of how frightening we can be to little children. What if you're often threatened with all kinds of woes? For instance, when I was small in Jamaica, if you did anything that was naughty or unacceptable, one of the things that we use is that God doesn't love you anymore. That used to terrify me. That used to cause me not to really sleep well at nights. I can remember getting up really, really shaking with fear. and wondering, but yes, God is going to come back. God is going to come back and judge. And boy, I'm such a terrible sinner. Right? He's going to cast me into hell. Now imagine somebody that's constantly bombarding you with that message. Right? And so a generation ago, that was kind fairly commonplace. And some people would say, oh, it worked because it, you know, somehow helped to restrain your behavior. But what it did emotionally was, I think, very damaging. 
And so, yes, we should balance discipline always, always with love. Imagine, as a little child, being continually blasted by your father. Or even beaten, if he was at my, in June, my generation, it was quite commonplace. It was felt that, do not, as some of you may have heard it, do not spare the rod because you may spoil the child. Right? Imagine that is the image you have, or that is the memory you have of your father. Or even worse, you're no good. Why are you not doing as well as such and such? You're a mistake. And so that kind of shaped you know, your journey from childhood to adulthood. And that still played out even during your adulthood. And if we're not careful, that cycle continues the next generation. So for instance, um, you know, I see our head teacher there. And again, we work with young people who struggle to stay within mainstream school. But one of the things I discovered about many children who struggled in mainstream school was this. If you took time to get to know their parents and find out about their parents and their experience of the education system, you will discover that they themselves also struggled. And that has been passed from one generation to the next. And sometimes it's because, you know, significant adults in their lives had communicated to them that they have less value, they're no good, etc. And sadly, quite often it's actually the parents who have done this. Now, that is not the Heavenly Father that we serve. The Bible speaks about fatherhood in a different way. God is a is in authority. God is supreme. God is sovereign over everything, every aspect of the universe. He must be obeyed. But he loves his children. He loves us and delights to shower good gifts. All good gifts around us are sent from heaven above. Everything. Right? Right? Jesus came with this message. Right. God is spoken of as the father of his people in the Old Testament. But it was Jesus who first called him father in an individual and personal sense. Abba, father. The most endearing familiar word Jesus could have used. And he's also invited us to see or to call him, to relate to him as Abba. Father, one who loves, one who cares, one who understands more about us than we understand about ourselves or anyone could ever do, right? Jesus is inviting us to have that relationship with his Father, just as he had that relationship with his Father. If you ever get time, just look through the scripture and see those encounters, those times of intercession with his Father. Someone once asked me, why would Jesus need to pray? After all, he can do everything. I said, no, no, no. Prayer is not just about petitioning God. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. 
Prayer is not about just bringing your list of what you like. Prayer, most of all, right, is communion with God, enriching our relationship with Him, right? Just as Jesus did. And He extends the same to each and every one that we can truly say, Father, Abba. We can have that very, very personal relationship, each and every one of us. So, but that relationship must begin with reverence. A further reason for conducting ourselves in fear is that the God whom we call Father judges us impartially according to our deeds. God is not only our Father, but also our judge. Some people like to pick and choose between these two images. But that can't be done. A father without being a judge can be a pushover. Again, use myself as an example. Not because I knew my father loved me and cared for me, that I could walk into his house anytime and walk out anytime and do whatever I right, right? My father once told me, right, when you're in this house, right, I make the rules. If you don't like these rules, oh, you can just open the door and find somewhere else. But as long as you've got to abide by these rules, right? Or you're late for school. Okay, when the teacher's finished, I will then take up the issue further with you. Yeah? Those things I have learned and come to respect and value. Punctuality, right? Respecting others and so on, you know? Staying within the rules. Staying within the law. I learned those things through my father being, right? Loving, right? But also, you know, exercising discipline when it really was necessary. And those are the standards which come from God himself. Yeah, so God is both father in every sense of the word, but he's also judge. So a father without being a judge can be a pushover. A judge without being a yeah, a judge without being a father, a tyrant. Right? Need to get that balance in our lives. Right? We are accountable. If we are to come under the fatherhood of God, we must not lose sight of that we are accountable. We are accountable to God. The scripture teaches clearly that all who believe in Jesus Christ are freed from condemnation. But I repeat again, all of us, every one of us, must give an account of our lives to God. One writer, many years ago, sums it up this way. The most important thought I ever had was that of my individual responsibility to God. Let's think about that for a moment. You, me, every one of us as individuals are accountable to Almighty God. We're going to have to give account of our lives to Almighty God. But as I come to close now, 
Let us remind ourselves, let us be reminded from the scripture that the fear of the Lord for the believer is reverence and gratitude. It is a good fear. And this understanding arises from the cross of Jesus Christ. We saw fear manifested in its fullest form. But we also saw reverence. Because if you notice, even while Jesus was on the cross and was subject to the most excruciating pain you can imagine, yet he still retained that reverence for his father, still reverence for God right throughout. So that sets a model, it's a template about what reverence is. And for us, to also follow and aspire for in our lives. So finally, how do we put it all together? When we fear the Lord, we can fly in the face of all our other fears. Let's take, let's take, just take again, take a moment to think about that. That healthy fear of God. And I've seen examples, I've read of examples, even today, still see examples of believers, you know, where you find they're persecuted day in, day out. They know what's going to happen, right? From the moment they decide that they're going to come together to fellowship, they know what's going to happen the moment they close their eyes to pray. They know what's going to happen as they step out their door. They know that they're going to be dragged off, and some of them are never going to return to the place they call home. Some of them may just be fortunate to be thrown into prison. Many will lose their lives. It's not simply martyrdom. It's not simply, oh, dying for a good cause. No. I believe it is because they have actually come to understand and appreciate what is the fear of God. As Jesus says, fear not him. Who can kill the body. But fear him who is able to destroy both body and soul. They know that through that reverence, reverential relationship with God Father, it enabled them to face up to all their fears. And that is not exclusive to those who are being persecuted. That relationship with God that reverential fear is open to every one of us in our daily existence. All it takes is for us to reach out to God. God is not asking us to go through some sort of um, torturous process as what used to happen before Martin Luther discovered what grace was truly all about. If I recall, remember, they used to actually, um, in the uh, monastery aware, uh, would climb up, would spend hours and hours on his knees till, wow, the skin eventually wore off. Or sometimes stand out in the cold, flagellating himself, believing that that was the way in which he would eventually gain some kind of acceptance from God. No, no, no. God is not placing that on any of us. Which father would do that on any one of their child? 
God just asks us to exercise faith in him. So, just to say finally, once you come to have that appreciation with God, that fear in him, you can conquer all your fears. And you need not be afraid. You need not be afraid of what lies out there. You need not be afraid of tomorrow. You need not be afraid of anything. Just put that trust in God. Let us pray. Father, because of our fallen nature, we so easily become preoccupied with our own conscious situation that we get troubled on every front. We get tossed and torn by what is happening. But you have not left us to fend for ourselves alone. You are with us day in day out. Lord, we all have different types of fears, different types of forebodings, concerns. Some may be facing medical challenges. I know, Lord, because even during the week, I went for an assessment of diabetes and I found out my sugar level is up. But Lord, it is not to fear the, the deterioration of the body, but it is to place my trust in you that will matter. And so, Lord, be with everyone. Enable everyone to cast their fear on you. For you really care for everyone. Equip them, Lord, as they go out to face up to these challenges. That they need not step back. They need not allow any situation to get the better of them. For you, Jesus... I've said in your word that you have overcome the world. To fear not, for you have overcome the world. And by that, Lord, you are able to overcome every one of those fears that this world directed us. And so, Lord, be with us. Grant us your peace to face every moment and every day. For we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.